Amen. Amen. Fantastic. Um, I don't know how many of you have, have probably been through this, but probably most of you have. I know I've done it on more than one occasion. But how many of you have ever had one of those moments when you're, you're walking down the road uh, and you see someone in the distance uh, and you kind of smile and you start to wave? Uh, and then as they get a little bit closer, you suddenly realize that actually it's not the person that you thought it was. Um, and it's not actually somebody that you know. And, and I imagine maybe some of you have done something like I have in that moment. You know, that kind of moment hits you and, and you've seen the person and you smile and you wave. And suddenly that wave becomes a stretch. All right, I'm scratching my head. As I'm trying to kind of hide the, the mistake that I've made and trying to stop myself from looking foolish and, and looking silly in that moment. And here's the thing, you know, we all live our lives and we all make our decisions based on what we think to be true. From what we see and from what we, we know and we try to, to kind of piece together how the world works and we, we try to, to piece together what people are like and their motivations and their intentions and, and, and along the way, because we don't have all of the pieces, because sometimes we're seeing in the distance, we end up making assumptions and we don't actually know a person, we're, we're waving at them, we're responding in a way which makes no sense. Because we've tried to piece things together and we've come to the wrong conclusion. You now maybe somebody has done something and we feel upset. And because we feel like they're, they're pressurizing us or they're judging us or they're, they're, they're kind of rejecting us or, or some kind of thing just triggers in us because we've, they've said something and we feel upset but we've just got that little bit of the picture, that part of the picture. We only see it in the distance and so we respond out of that place but really we've just made assumptions. And we don't know what the person's heart was or their intentions were in that. We've only seen part of the picture and so we've jumped to the wrong conclusion. Or, or maybe we're looking at that person and we're looking at what they've said or we're looking at that situation and we look at it through our own filters. Our, our own filters of our past hurts and pains and, and disappointments. Our own filters of our insecurities and our fears. Our own filters of our hopes and our desires and our dreams. And we, we really want to be the case. And it can mean that we're almost looking at people or we're looking at, at things through this lens, this lens which kind of warps and distorts and blurs the picture that we see. And so we persuade ourselves that that person really is the one for us. And we end up in a bad relationship. Or we persuade ourselves that that person's rejecting us when really all it is is that they're, they're wanting to just say, well, I'm not free that day, but I'd love to see you another time. You know, I'm sure we can, we can all think back to, to times when we've made bad decisions or we've jumped to, to bad conclusions. We've made assumptions because we've seen things through this filter that has distorted reality. Or because we only see part of the picture because they're, they're in the distance. And we've made assumptions about the rest. And just as we, we recognize that this can happen in our lives, we recognize it can happen when it comes to other people. Do you know what? It can also happen when it comes to Jesus. 
we can see something of who Jesus is. We've, we've got hold of, of some bit of the truth about his, his teaching and the, the call to, to live a life of love. Or, or about the fact that he, he hates sin and the brokenness that that brings into our lives and into this world. Or about the fact that his heart is to heal us and to bless us and that he wants us to have life to the full. But we've only got hold of a, a part of the picture. And we've, we've made sense of what we see through our own kind of filters and our own kind of lens. And it's distorted and we've made assumptions. And so we jump to conclusions and we can end up thinking we know who Jesus is. When actually we only see in part. And because we don't see clearly and because of the assumptions that we make, we can, we can end up putting all of our hope in something which isn't actually what Jesus is, is offering to us. Or, or we can end up struggling to, to hope at all because we just don't understand. Or maybe we can end up rejecting Jesus. Because we've come to these conclusions and we've made these assumptions and we think that we know who Jesus is, but really all we're seeing is this distorted picture. We're seeing this blurred picture because of our own filters. And so this morning we're going to be starting a new series and we're, I'm calling it Jesus in Focus. And through this series we're simply going to be taking time to look at who Jesus is, to look at what it is about, to focus in on Jesus. Because Jesus is the one that we hope in. Jesus is, is the one who we follow. Jesus is the one that we want to introduce other people to. And so it's so important that we see him clearly. As we go about our lives, as we make our decisions, it's so important that we have Jesus in focus. So we're not making assumptions and jumping to wrong conclusions and hoping in the wrong things or feeling like there's no hope that we can have. And so that's what we're going to be about over the next kind of few weeks and months. And my hope and my prayer is that as we focus in on Jesus, as we bring Jesus into focus, that we will be encouraged and we'll be challenged, that we will grow in our understanding of who Jesus is, that we will understand more of what it is that he has for our lives, that our hearts will be stirred in faith, and that we will ultimately, we will grow in our love for him. And if you really want to get to, to know someone, if you really want to bring somebody into focus, then, you know, I think it's important that you know something of their, their kind of beginnings and where it is that they come from. And, you know, you have a beginning and so do I. And you, you have a, a backstory that shapes your life and has brought you to where you are today and, and so do I. And so I want us to just do something for a moment, just to get you to, to interact a little bit and get to know some of the people around you. You've got 30 seconds, and I want you to turn to someone near you, hopefully somebody that you don't know particularly well, um, and I want you just to share with them where you were born or where you grew up um, and what it was like. Okay, so where you were born or where you grew up and what it was like. Turn to someone who might not know that information already. You've got 30 seconds. Go for it. <clears throat>
Okay, brilliant. If we all come back together again, it's great to hear the hubbub and the, the chat. Hopefully you've found out something new about someone who's part of our, our big church family here uh, that you didn't know already. And uh, Maybe you can kind of carry on finding out some of their story and where they've come from um, at the end of the service over tea and coffee. That would be fantastic. But you, but you see, all of us have a, a backstory. All of us have beginnings that, that shape us. And that backstory and those beginnings are, are, are really important. And so today, I want to try and, as we look to bring Jesus into to focus, to look at something of his backstory and something of his beginnings and the beginnings of his ministry here on earth. Uh, you see, Jesus, I don't know where you grew up, but Jesus, he grew up in, in a little town called Nazareth. And Nazareth was a very small and a very poor community. You know, the people who lived in, in Nazareth... They really knew what need was. You know, the historians and the archaeologists, as they uncover more and more about Nazareth, we understand more and more about the poverty that was there. Uh, the, the homes would have mostly been, been small single rooms that the whole family would have had to, to share together. Uh, the, the kind of food that they ate would have had very little protein in it. They would have been, been people who were, they were used to loss. Because infant mortality would have been incredibly high because medicines would have been very limited. They would be the kind of people who pretty much all of them would have just worked as, as farmers or as tradesmen. They would have been uneducated and illiterate. And, and Jesus, he grew up in that environment. This is the kind of world that he grew up in. The people that he rubbed shoulders with and lived life with. He grew up and he knew what it was to, to not have the things that you feel that you need. And we don't know a lot about Jesus' childhood, but you know we, we know that he grew up the son of a carpenter. Uh, we know that as he, as he grew up, um, he, people were amazed and the teachers in the temple were amazed because here was this boy coming from this uneducated backwater of a town who had this incredible wisdom and knowledge of God. And then Jesus, when he's around 30, he begins to travel and he, and he begins to teach. And then picture this. You've got this great, famous prophet that everybody's coming to see, John the Baptist. Everybody knows John the Baptist. And people are traveling from all over the country to come and see John the Baptist. And he's there at the River Jordan. And, he's, and he starts as he's teaching and as he's baptizing people. And as all these people are coming, he starts to talk to them about Jesus. And, and as he's talking to them about Jesus, everyone's coming and they're listening. And he starts to tell them, you know, Jesus isn't just another rabbi. Jesus isn't just another teacher. He isn't just another prophet. Jesus is the one that we've been waiting for. He's the one that we've been waiting for for, for generations. And so word about Jesus begins to, to spread across the country. And there's this kind of hub and this buzz. It's kind of the talk of the town. It's the thing that everybody would be posting about on Facebook. And you would think then that Jesus, in the midst of this, as he's trying to begin his ministry, the sensible thing to do for a religious leader, wanting to create a following, wanting to create a, a movement, wanting to gather people together, would be to go to the big city, to go to Jerusalem. Because Jerusalem is where all the people are. Jerusalem is where all the leaders are, the people of influence. Jerusalem is the seat of power. And yet Jesus, he doesn't go there. Instead, he goes back to his backwater of an uneducated town. He goes to Nazareth. That's a little bit of a strange thing to do because nothing happens in Nazareth. 
And yet Jesus, he travels back to, to Nazareth. And imagine this, Nazareth is filled with his aunts and his uncles and his cousins and his brothers and sisters. It's filled with all the people that he grew up with and that knew him. And they've heard these rumors about what's going on with Jesus. They've heard these rumors that are flying around the country about what John the Baptist is saying and what Jesus is doing and his teaching in the other towns as he travels. And so Jesus comes back to, to his hometown. And you can imagine the people full of, of hope and, and expectation and excitement about this hometown boy who's come good. But also filled with questions and doubts and how can this be our Jesus? How can this be the, the, the little lad that, that we watch grow up? And, and the tradition of the, of the day was that in the synagogue, as, as people gathered together and there was a visiting rabbi, when it came to the time of, of teaching on the Sabbath, kind of like we're gathered here together this morning. And in the synagogue, the, the tradition was that when the visiting rabbi came, there'd be an opportunity for them to, to read from the scriptures and then to teach people out of it. But there was a strict order to the synagogue. The local priest kind of controlled things and he was in charge and he would have determined a long time in advance what it was that was going to be read on that particular day. And, and so Jesus, he turns up and he comes along to, to the synagogue on the Sabbath in, in Nazareth and the, the priest reaches down and he picks up this scroll and he hands it to Jesus. And it's from the book of Isaiah. And we kind of get the impression that, that Jesus handed this, this entire book of, of you know, 66 chapters and he can just kind of flick through it. But this was written on scrolls and scrolls he could only have so long. And so he probably only had about 10 or so chapters on it. So this isn't even the whole book of Isaiah. It's just this small portion of the book of Isaiah. And it's amazing because Jesus opens the scroll and he finds these verses in Isaiah 61. And he reads these verses about this prophecy about the Messiah that have been written 700 years earlier. He's been handed a scroll and is reading a prophecy that is about himself. And this is what Jesus reads in Luke 4 verses 18 to 20. Jesus says, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He had their attention. Can you imagine the atmosphere in the place? The anticipation and the excitement in the people there. And then Luke, he just gives us the first sentence of what Jesus starts to teach them. As he unpacks what it is that he's read from Isaiah and this prophecy from 700 years before. You know, we don't know everything that Jesus taught. I wish that we did. But Luke clearly thought that the first sentence was the most important and what we really needed to to get hold of. And this is what Luke writes. He says, Jesus began by saying to them, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Now, this might not seem like that big of a deal to you, but if you were in that room in Nazareth, if you had been a a Jew in the first century, then this statement that Jesus made is incredible, it's mind-blowing, it changes everything, and it would have gotten your attention. 
Because what Jesus is doing and what he's proclaiming and what he's declaring is something that they've been waiting for for hundreds of years. What he's proclaiming and he's declaring is the year of the Lord's favor. And this isn't about a literal calendar year. This is about a, this isn't even really about a specific period of time. It's, it's about a season or an era of the Lord's favor. And, and Jesus is saying now with my arrival in this moment today, I'm announcing the start of the year of the Lord's favor. And in this, as we begin to get something of what this is about, we catch hold of so much of Jesus' heart and what his purpose is and what he's about and who he is. He's saying this is the start of a a new season. This is the start of a, a new era when freedom is available. When a fresh start is available, when hope is available, when forgiveness is available, when the lavish love of God and a real living relationship with God is available to anyone and everyone who'll accept it and embrace it. And while Jesus is reading from the book of Isaiah and uh, the year of the Lord's favor, you know, actually, so there's this chunk in Isaiah from 58 to 61 where he's talking about the year of the Lord's favor, but really it has a much deeper roots. It goes back a lot further in time than, than what Isaiah is writing. It goes back all the way in time to the writings of Moses and the book of Leviticus and what Moses writes and he calls the year of Jubilee. And you can read about it for yourself if you look at Leviticus chapter 25. And we find some of the principles as we look through this and the kind of things that Moses is writing about, for the principles for his people to live by. We discover that you know they're meant to work for six days and on the seventh day they're meant to rest and to have a Sabbath. And we discover that every seven years their fields are meant to have a Sabbath to give them a year off of growing crops and planting crops. And then Moses writes about the year of the Jubilee and he writes about how after seven lots of seven years in the 50th year, it's to be a year of Jubilee. And it sounds like a strange thing to us, but this is a year of new beginnings. This is a year of fresh starts. This is a year of of freedom. This was the year, and get your heads around this because this is incredible. This is the year when all of the debts that the people had accrued in the previous 49 years were wiped out. And forgiven. Can you imagine getting a letter from your mortgage company? Saying, dear sir, dear madam, we are writing to declare to you that this is the year of Jubilee. This means that your debts that you owed us, all that you were obligated to repay to us, we have released you from. And you have a zero balance. That'd be amazing, wouldn't it? But it simply doesn't happen. Wish it did. My mortgage company's not like that. If yours is, let me know and I'll be moving. You know, we understand that, that the normal process is that when we have debts to someone, we are obligated to pay them back. We're obligated to repay them. And so this idea of just getting to go scot-free, this idea of just getting to start over and have this fresh start and this new beginning, for us it's hard to begin to get our heads around and to understand. And this wasn't really even just about money. 
If somehow you'd hit hard times and you'd been forced into become somebody's servant or somebody's slave, then you were released and you were set free on the year of Jubilee and you got a fresh start, a chance to start over. If to make ends meet or because of some kind of tragedy that you'd faced, you'd lost your land. Land which had originally belonged to you or your family or your tribe. Then in the year of Jubilee, you got a second chance. It got given back to you. It went back to its original owners. The year of Jubilee was this amazing thing that was designed to make sure that Whatever bad decisions people made, that we never ended up in a society or a situation where people could be exploited. Where people always had a second chance. And this is amazing and it's revolutionary and it's countercultural and it doesn't fit with or make sense within kind of the world that we're used to and that we know. There's only one real problem with the year of Jubilee. Do you know what it was? Well, to the best that we can tell, it never actually happened. And that's sad, isn't it? The nation of Israel talked about it. And at times, in specific places, people tried it. But there is no record that it ever happened across the whole nation for all people at the same time in the way that God intended it to. But you know, I find it hard to blame them. Because as great as it is as an ideal, there is something within us. There is something in our humanness that says this isn't fair. I've worked hard and I've earned what I've got. It's mine. Why should I have to now give it all over to you? Just because you're in debt. Just because it gives you a second chance. I'm the one that, that, that gave you the money in the first place. Why should you not have to repay it back to me? It's not fair. It's not fair on me that I have to give that up. There is something in our humanness that constantly pulls us back to thinking about ourselves. Constantly pulls us back to thinking about what we can get. And just as that's true for us today, I imagine it was just as true for the Israelites back then. So can we really blame them? But the prophets like Isaiah that Jesus is reading from, they would write about the year of Jubilee and they would talk about how as crazy as it may seem, it's the best possible thing for us. It's God's plan for us as his people. And as much as as we, we don't see it now, as much as we struggle to see it now and see how it could work in the world that we live in, there's going to be a time when the Messiah comes and then it's going to happen. There's going to be a time when the Messiah comes and he's going to declare the year of Jubilee and everything's going to change. Finally, this will be a reality. And so Jesus, he shows up in this moment that we read about in Luke 4, and he says, this scripture with its deep roots, these promises with their deep roots, this vision of how the world could be with its deep roots, that captures so much of what you long for and what you wait for, as these people who are, are poor and uneducated and are struggling through life. Today, 
Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. I'm here. I'm the one that you've been waiting for. And today, this era of the Lord's favor, this era of freedom, this era of hope, this era of new beginnings is here. Can you imagine this moment for Jesus? Can you imagine what the atmosphere would have been like in that room? This beginning of his ministry and his mission on earth. And as he talks about the year of Jubilee, the year of the Lord's favor, Jesus is talking about the this start of the new era, this start of a, almost a new kingdom, of his kingdom. And, and if we read elsewhere, he uses that language so much of kingdom. And he's saying that he's the king who takes care of the poor. He's the king who, who sets captives free. He's the king who opens the eyes of the blind, who cares for the oppressed. And as we take time to look at his life and his ministry, we will see that he lives this out. But you know, he still wants to be about this business today too. This isn't just about when he was on earth. It's Jesus' heart for each and every one of us today. We may not be in the same kind of situation that, that the Jews of the first century were in Nazareth, but you know, there are times when we all know what it is to be poor. What it is to be in need in different ways. Now, it may be financially, but for many of us actually, the reality is that we're much more likely to feel poor relationally and to feel alone. Or that we'll feel poor spiritually and just feel like we're searching for purpose and for fulfillment and for, for real life. And Jesus is saying, I am good news for the poor. In me, you can find everything that you need. In me, no one is at a disadvantage. There aren't these kind of two tiers of society. No one is treated differently because of how much they have or what they don't have. The same hope and the same salvation and the same grace and the same love and the same forgiveness is available to you. The same riches that money can't buy are available to you. This is good news to the poor. And Jesus says in me is, is freedom. And we might not personally be in a position where we are, are living as slaves. That's a very real issue in the world that we have today. But that might not be where we are. But Jesus, I believe, is equally saying, in me there is freedom from slavery to addiction. Slavery to people's opinions and needing to be liked and trying to please people. Slavery to food or to gambling or to entertainment or to pornography or to compulsive spending or to comfort. There are so many things that can hold us captive in life and we just can't help ourselves. We just feel like we're trapped in this cycle of living for these things and doing these things. And we can spend our lives struggling against them and battling against them. But Jesus says, I have come to set you free. I've come to open your eyes to, to help you to see more clearly. To see you, me more clearly. To see God more clearly. To see yourself more clearly. To see the world more clearly. 
To deal with all of your kind of past hurts and pains and all of the wrong things that you might have put your hope in that have led to disappointments and all of the different things that can blur or distort your vision. To give you a fresh perspective. To open your eyes to a new hope and all that I have for you. You know, the incredible message that Jesus is proclaiming, that he starts in it with his, his ministry, and that really his whole life and his death and his resurrection are, are all about, is about this year of, of jubilee. It's a proclamation of the lavish love of God that is determined to give and to bless that is determined to meet us where we are in the midst of all of our mess and our mistakes. That is determined to reach out to us and to bring healing to our brokenness. That is determined to overcome all of the wrong things in our lives and bring us hope. That is determined to reach down to us no matter where we are at and to lift us up and to set us free and to give us life. The lavish love of God wants to give us chance after chance after chance. And it doesn't, this kind of generosity doesn't fit with our system of what's fair or unfair and how the world's meant to work. It's a declaration of the year of Jubilee which breaks all of the rules. And it's a fresh start and it's a new beginning that is available to everyone and anyone who will receive it. This is who Jesus is. This is what he's about. Jesus is about setting people free and seeing lives transformed. It's what he's about for you and what his heart is for you. And so what does it mean for us Today, what does it mean for our lives today? How does this impact us in the here and now? It's one thing to talk about a guy who, who taught and said all these things 2,000 years ago, but what does it mean for us right now? And there's so much that, that I could start to talk about with this. It captures so much of what Jesus is about, but I want to focus just on one thing that we can receive from God today. And one thing that I believe God wants to send us out to do and to give away. And so the one thing that we can receive from God today, the thing that God has for you today is that you can know hope and you can have life. You can know hope and that you can have life. Now what we see in Jesus is a declaration of God's lavish love that breaks all the rules. And goes beyond anything that we have a frame of reference for or we can understand from this world. It's a lavish love that can give us hope because we see that that Jesus is the kind of God who goes out of his way to meet people where they are at. You don't need to be someone important or to have it all together. Jesus loves you as you are and he is reaching out to you as you are. And his whole purpose is to set you free. To give you hope that you would know hope and have life. You know, but when we look, when we look at Jesus and what he does and, and what he promises and this amazing picture of transformation 
This amazing picture of blind eyes being opened and captives being set free and broken hearts being bound up. Some of us are so familiar with it. Some of us have heard it so many times. Some of us have read it so many times. And sometimes, while we we see it in the Bible and theoretically we agree with it. I think sometimes we come to a point where we struggle to see it as a real possibility in our own lives. That that kind of change is really available to us. You know, there may be situations that we've, we've lived with for, for years. There may be habits that we feel trapped in, or insecurities or fears that we carry with us, or, hope, or hurts or wounds from the past that kind of have a hold of us. Struggles with wrong attitudes, attitudes of, of anger or jealousy or a critical spirit. And, but they've become so much a part of who we are. They've been a part of us for so many years that we struggle to even imagine ourselves any other way. We struggle to imagine how we could ever be different. Or, or maybe we've prayed and we've battled and we've struggled and we've done our best and we've strived for so long and nothing seems to change. We seem to be caught in this cycle and we've just grown disillusioned. And we've given up. And while we still kind of uh, agree with God's promises, we don't really hope in them anymore. a big difference between those two things. We think this is just who I am and I've got to live with being a captive. I've got to live with with blind eyes or a broken heart or being oppressed. But today, God wants you to know hope. He wants you not only to be able to agree with his promises, but to hope in them. For hope to be stirred in your heart. Hope in his promises. Hope in the freedom and the transformation that we can find in Jesus. Because of his lavish love that breaks all the rules. Today God wants you to know that you can have life. And life to the full. Don't allow discouragement or disillusionment to rob you of hope. Don't allow the enemy to have that kind of a victory in your life. God has so much more for you. While we were away um, at the, the Free Methodist Conference last week, there was a, uh, one of the speakers there, a guy called Larry, he asked us a question. And it was such a simple question and yet it was profound and it has stuck with me ever since. And he asked us this, he says, have you preached the gospel to yourself today? And I think that's a great question. And he went on and he shared how he's made it his habit. Every morning, the first thing that he does when he wakes up is to preach the good news, to remind himself of the good news of Jesus and all that Jesus has done for him and the hope that he has in Jesus and what it is that's available in Jesus. And as he does that, it stirs hope again in his heart. As he does that, it helps to, to get rid of those that filter that begins to build as we go through hurts and pains and discouragements. And, and he opens his eyes to see clearly again. To bring everything into focus. 
So he reminds himself of the fact that of where he came from and where Jesus has brought him to and how he's been forgiven and how the purpose that God has for his life. And I've been trying to copy his example over the last kind of week or so and I want to encourage you to do the same. To preach the gospel to yourself, to remind yourself of the good news of Jesus every morning. To remind yourself of all that Jesus has done for you and his love for you and the forgiveness which is there. The promises that he's given you. And to let hope and thankfulness just to be stirred in your heart afresh. And if you're not sure how to start doing that and what that really looks like or how that would work, then I want to encourage you to choose a song. To choose a song uh, about the good news of Jesus and who he is and what it is that he promises. You know, there's a reason that songs like um, In Christ Alone My Hope Is Found or, or songs that we, we sing maybe more recently uh, where we say, I cast my mind to Calvary where Jesus bled and died for me. There's a reason why these kind of songs stir our hearts so much and they lift us and we come out of it with excited. Because as we sing those songs, we are preaching the gospel to ourselves. We are speaking into our hearts the good news of who Jesus is and what it is that he's done for us and hope and thankfulness are stirred in our hearts again. So I want to encourage you, if you don't really know what that looks like and how to begin to the whole idea of preaching the gospel to yourself every morning, I want to encourage you, choose a song. Choose a song that speaks something of the promises of Jesus, that speaks something of what it is that he's done for you, that speaks something of the hope that you can have in him and the new start that you can have in him and listen to it every morning. Allow it to stir your heart in hope and in thankfulness. And so the one thing that we can receive from God today, the thing that God has for you today is that you can know hope and you can have life. But I think God also has something for you to do today. He has a purpose for you. He is calling you up and sending you out so that you can give hope and you can speak life. So that you can give hope and you can speak life. And a starting point for this has got to be that we have hope and we have life. Because it's out of that overflow of hope, out of that overflow of thankfulness that we can share with other people. But if we want to be people who, who give hope and who speak life, then we need to go beyond that and we need to start to, to follow Jesus' example of what that looks like. And what we see with Jesus is that he is always looking for what he can give rather than what he can get. So simple. But changes everything. As we go through life, you know, so often without even meaning to, it's subconscious, it's not intentional. We don't think we're even aware that we're doing it most of the time. But as we go through life, we look at things and more than anything, we look at people. And really what's going on on the inside so often is that we're evaluating them. We're evaluating that person and, and how good a friend they might be. Will they be fun and make us happy Will they help us with the jobs that we need to do? Will they be a useful person to know down the line or help us with our career? Are they going to be somebody who makes us feel uncomfortable? And these are natural questions to, to ask. And I think we do it subconsciously without even really realizing that we're, we're doing it. But essentially we're going through life with this kind of question at the back of our mind of what can I get? 
And the problem is that Jesus just doesn't do life that way. He didn't evaluate people and just choose to spend time with people who he thought had really high potential. He didn't look at people and and think about what it was that he could get. God doesn't look at you and evaluate you as by what it is that he can get. He looks at you and he sees you and he values you and he loves you and he cares for you and he reaches out to you, not looking for what he can get, but what he can give. And I'm so grateful it's that way around. What he can give out of his lavish love, how he can do the scandalous and and forgive you again and again. How he can give you a fresh start and adopt you as his child and bring you into relationship with him. And so I want to encourage you to, to ask the Holy Spirit to help you to be more like Jesus this week. Because we need his help to do it. It's not going to come naturally. To help, ask the Holy Spirit to, to help you to see each person that you meet, each person that you rub shoulders with. Whether it be at school, whether it be in the workplace, whether it be on your street with your neighbours, wherever it is, each person that you rub shoulders with as valuable and as precious. You know, as we look at Jesus, what we'll see as we start to look through his life is that despite how busy he was, despite the crowds that were always around him, he makes time for people. And they're often the people that others have written off and rejected and think are worthless. We'll see that in his conversations, he gives hope and he speaks life. Whether that be through words of comfort or encouragement or whether it be through words of challenge and conviction. And so I want to encourage you to do the same. To ask the Holy Spirit to help you to see each person as as valuable, to make time for people. Especially those that really need it and especially those that others wouldn't. And to look for opportunities in your conversations to give people hope and to speak life. To speak words of comfort to someone who's hurting or to speak words of encouragement to someone who's low and down or to speak words of challenge to someone who maybe is in the process of making a bad decision. To call them up to something more of what God has for them. And so this morning, God wants you to know hope and to have life. And he wants you to give hope and to speak life. And if as I talk about this today, you, you don't know Jesus for yourself. And you want to find out more about, about who this guy is and what this is all about, then please come and grab me after the service or grab somebody that you came with or somebody that you know here or somebody you don't know here and just ask them, Who is this Jesus and why do you hope in him? And if today you're here and you're struggling with hope, you're struggling to know hope, you're struggling to really trust God and to feel like there's a way out or that there's good things ahead of you, to feel that like, His promises are really true. 
then I just want to give space in a couple of moments for you to bring those things to God and just to be honest with him. And to invite him to come and to, to meet with you. And to fill you with love and with hope and for you to know him with you. For you to know that he is faithful and that you can trust him. But for every single one of us, I want to pray that we will be people this week who give hope and who speak life. Because that can change everything. That's how we introduce people to Jesus because that's what Jesus was, was all about.